This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. At 11am on the 11th day of the 11th month was the time in 1918 when the guns on Europe's Western Front fell silent after more than four years of war. To this day, we're encouraged to observe one minute silence in memory of those who died or suffered in all wars and armed conflicts. So in this Squeeze Shortcut, we give you a quick guide to World War I and how it ended, how its commemoration was observed after the war and what it means today. Squeeze Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. World War I, Claire, is no small thing to tackle in about 12 minutes, but let's see how we go. Estimates say 20 million people died in that war. It was billed as the war to end all wars. Of course, that wasn't to be, but it was a terrible and world-changing event. And it's hard for us to fathom, but it was the first time that a war affected people all over the world. One of the most significant impacts of World War I was huge advances in technology and that would go on to transform everything. Uh, And it changed the balance of world power with Europe and the UK absolutely smashed. And it saw the United States really start to take off as an economic and political force. Just a few small themes. Just to quickly pick up on the war itself, it started in 1914 after the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria. Yeah, and it's time to dust off your high school history. Exactly. (laughs) The major powers in Europe had been preparing for war for years. The situation was so tense before the war that many called Europe a powder keg waiting to explode. And it did just that when Ferdinand was killed on the 28th of June 1914, and that set off a chain of events that led to war in early August. What was it about Ferdinand? Why was he such an important guy for the world to descend into war? Yeah, look, he wasn't necessarily a really important dude, but Mm. what happened was the reaction triggered a series of alliances. So just hang in there with me as I go through this. Uh, The Archduke was killed by a Serbian extremist, and the Austria Hungarian Empire attacked Serbia in response. Germany supported Austria-Hungary, while Russia sided with its traditional ally, Serbia. Russia then mobilised its military forces at the end of July, and Germany sought to avoid a two-front war by a quick invasion of France. And it was, of course, Russia's main ally in those days. Mm. Uh, In order to invade France, Germany had to go through Belgium, which is a country that had been neutral for nearly 100 years. Uh, Britain had made commitments to support Belgian neutrality, so it was drawn into the war. You can see by going through that how so many different countries, as you say, were drawn into this war. It also meant Australia and other far-flung Commonwealth nations were also at war with Germany and its allies, which included the Ottoman Empire and modern-day Turkey. And I know where you're going with that. Hello, Gallipoli. That's right. Uh, Yes, the hero of World War II, Winston Churchill, was the first Lord of the Admiralty in World War I, and he made the call to send Australian and Kiwi troops to the peninsula with the aim of taking control of that part of the Turkish Straits. And the idea was that it would expose the Ottoman capital, Constantinople, uh, to bombardment by Allied battleships and to cut it off from that part of the empire. 
It was, of course, a huge disaster. And on the 25th of April, 1915, a failed landing led to eight months of fighting and 250,000 casualties from both sides. That Gallipoli campaign was abandoned and the invasion force withdrawn. Claire, it was then the Western Front where most Australians served. Yeah, that was in Europe and more than 295,000 Australians served on the Western Front between March 1916 and November 1918. It was the battle line that ran across the industrial regions of France and Belgium and it's where the bloodiest battles like the Somme and Passchendaele and so many others were fought and where the most lives were lost. In total, 60,000 Australian lives were lost in World War I, which is a lot for a small nation like ours to lose. Let's look now at how the war ended and how Remembrance Day was started. When we look at the outcome of World War I, Claire, it wasn't inevitable that Britain, France and its allies would win. But America declared war on Germany, entering the fight after three years of trying to stay out of it, and they really changed the game. Yeah, and the problem was, though, with that is that it took them more than a year to get troops to the Western Front, and that saw Germany push hard after the US declared war, and it just about won the war for them. Uh, Talk about telegraphing your punches. It was a window for Germany to prevail ahead of fresh legs from the United States arriving. Britain, France and their allies like Australia did hold on. By the end of August 1918, there were over 1.4 million American troops in France and the Germans, they were overwhelmed. Yeah, and by November 1918, Germany asked for an armistice. That's an agreement to stop the fighting. Mm. Germany's leader, Kaiser Wilhelm, he was turfed out from his job on the 9th of November. And two days later, Germany signed the armistice and the guns fell silent. The fighting stopped at 11am on the 11th day of the 11th month. As I said earlier, Claire, somewhere around 20 million people had died during World War One. The way that war was fought was so horrendous that as many as one third of those were never recovered and have no grave. And so the time that marked the end of the war, as I said, the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month was given a special significance in the post-war years. That's right. And in fact, the first Armistice Days, as it was known then, uh, was marked the year after the war ended. In 1919, Britain's King George V hosted a banquet in honour of the President of the French Republic on the night of the 10th of November 1919. Uh, And the first official Armistice Day event was held on the grounds of Buckingham Palace the following morning. A feature of that commemoration was two minutes silence. That was something proposed by an Aussie, actually. Yeah, Edward Honey was his name. He was a Melbourne journalist and a First World War veteran. He was living in London in 1919. He wrote a letter to the London Evening News where he appealed for a five-minute silence to honour the sacrifice of those who had died during the war. He can't take all the credit, though. Sir Percy Fitzpatrick, a South African, suggested a period of silence on arms to stay uh, in all the countries of the empire and his suggestion was presented to King George who agreed. Uh, Both Honey and Fitzpatrick were present when the guards at Buckingham Palace tried it out and it was shortened to two minutes. That two-minute silence was first observed in Australia on that first anniversary of the armistice. And in relatively recent times, that changed to be one minute of silence. And that continues to be observed on what we now know as Remembrance Day. That hasn't been the only change to the commemoration. Let's look now at how it's evolved and how it's marked around the world. 
As we've mentioned a couple of times, the commemoration of the end of the Great War was originally called Armistice Day, which is the day the agreement to end the war was signed. But that changed in the wake of World War II, Claire. Yeah, and that was when governments deemed it more appropriate to commemorate the sacrifices made in all conflicts and they changed the name of the day to Remembrance Day. Mm. There was a hitch, however. The British wanted it to be observed on the Sunday before 11 November. Uh, That wasn't something that impressed the returned sailors, soldiers and airmen's Imperial League of Australia, as it was then known. It's now the RSL, uh, the Returned and Services League. And they said that the nation had really lost something of great spiritual significance. Yeah, they wanted those minutes of silence to be observed at 11am on the 11th of November and it wasn't until 1997 that a formal change was made. Yeah, quite a bit down the line mm. and that was when Governor-General Sir William Dean issued a proclamation declaring that 11 November each year would be known and observed as a Remembrance Day and he urged all Australians to observe, unless impractical, one minute silence at 11 a.m. on Remembrance Day each year to remember the sacrifices of those who died or otherwise suffered in Australia's cause in wars and warlike conflicts. That's the quote, and that's where we are today. In recent years, there's been a significant spike in interest and in Australia's involvement and the sacrifices made in World War One. Anzac Day ceremonies here and in Gallipoli have been very well attended, Claire, and attention has also turned to our efforts on the Western Front. Yeah, 2018 was the centenary of the end of the war. And you might remember that world leaders descended on France and Belgium and the UK for ceremonies to mark that occasion, uh, to spark your memory. That was when then US President Donald Trump came under fire because he was there, but he cancelled a visit to a US military cemetery because it was raining. I do remember that. It's all coming back to me now. (laughs) I also remember pictures of Queen Elizabeth and other dignitaries dressed in black with bright red poppies pinned to their chests. What are the poppies about? Okay, well, to get a bit deep on you, in 19th century English literature, poppies symbolised a state of oblivion. uh, And in the battlefields in northern France and Belgium, red poppies were among the first plants to grow in the ruins uh, because they flourished in disturbed soil. So, there's the connection. Ah, oh, it's very poetic. There's also a famous poem. Yeah, the Canadian John McRae, he wrote in Flanders Fields in 1915. He was inspired by the sight of poppies in the Ypres battlefields and he was the first person to describe poppies as a flower of remembrance. Uh, the poem goes, in Flanders Field, the poppies blow between crosses row on row. It's really devastating and very beautiful. Yeah, really beautiful. Also, rosemary sprigs is something that are handed out on Remembrance Day. What are they about? Yeah, sprigs of rosemary are commonly worn on Anzac Day, uh, but they can also be seen on Remembrance Day. Rosemary is an ancient symbol of remembrance and fidelity, uh, and it grows wild on the Gallipoli Peninsula. So that has a particular significance for Australians. Claire, as they say, lest we forget. And that's our shortcut to Remembrance Day. On to our recommendations. 
each episode of Squeeze Shortcuts, we recommend some further reading, listening or watching. We talked about pictures from the centenary of the end of World War One back in 2018. I've got a gallery to those commemorations. I've also got a gallery of pictures from Armistice Day in 1918, an incredible moment in history. Yeah, it's impossible to imagine what that would have felt like back in 1918. Mm. Uh, for me, there's a war memorial in Ypres in Belgium. It's dedicated to British and Commonwealth soldiers who were killed in that area and whose graves are unknown. Their names are inscribed on the memorial. There's 55,000 of them. Uh, It's called the Men and Gate Memorial to the Missing. And I was there on Remembrance Day 25 years ago, long time ago for me. Mm. Um, Australia has a very close relationship with Ypres. And in 1936, two large stone guardian lions from the gate were donated to the Australian War Memorial. So I've got a link to check them out. I was going to ask if you were there. It felt like that's where you were going with that one. (laughs) That's all from us. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to Squeeze Shortcuts. We'll be back next week. 